0: Welcome to the Health Design Podcast. I am your host, Moyez Jiwa. My guests on the podcast today are two remarkable American women. Kimberly Richardson is an ovarian cancer survivor and patient advocate. Haladura's daughter had two liver transplants and subsequently a bone marrow transplant. No one can be more qualified to speak about what is good about American healthcare and what could be improved. My conversation focused on an article that Haller wrote in which she challenges the idea that those who use healthcare should be called consumers. That's where we started our conversation, which led on to their ideas about what could be so much better in the experience of healthcare in the US and internationally. It was an extraordinary privilege to speak with Halla Dura and Kimberly Richardson. Halla's interview with Dr. Eric Topol for Medscape and her article, which we mention in this conversation, are both referenced in the show notes. I heard your conversation with Eric Topol and I was very moved by that. And I wanted to give you an opportunity to develop that a little bit because I think actually there's a lot of power in calling yourself, quote-unquote, consumer, because frankly, you are not treated with the reverence that's due to a consumer. Having come from the National Health Service in the UK, I think it's obscene that anyone should have to pay a single cent to be free of pain, to be free of distress, because somehow you've got to earned the right to be pain-free in this world. I don't know where that came from. So I wanted to kind of develop that conversation with you, with you both really, about what it means. If you're going to call me a name, you better treat me by that name. And frankly, you don't. And if you don't want to use that name, there may be other names I prefer to be called. And maybe you can tell me what those are. And this whole idea of being a provider and the lean principles and the efficiencies and that was all very transparently, as you say, in that conversation with Eric, making money for shareholders. As Eric says, no one has more of a right to say, call it what it is than you, because you've had, both of you have had this happen to you. You've both had very close contact, close encounters of every kind with the healthcare system. Maybe that's where we can start the conversation and go from there.
1: So. I think words matter a lot. And a great deal of my work involves pushing others to consider the the words they choose and what they mean. And for what you're referencing in terms of the article I wrote for Health Affairs, and then was interviewed by Eric Topple regarding that article, I just thought that in the work I've seen as a patient family engagement advocate and consultant, as the mother of a chronically ill child who's undergone two liver transplants and a bone marrow transplant, as the wife of a physician who's an adult medical hospitalist, I've seen every corner <laughs> intimately of the healthcare system here in the United States. And so I was always struck by this word consumer. And I understand the historical context of it. It was really meant to be a term utilized to empower us and various communities of us who are patients and families to really have a voice in our choices in the healthcare system, to be part of the team, for someone to acknowledge and recognize that how we're treated should matter. But what I've seen and my daughter is almost 18 years old now, is that those words were not resonating at all, and it wasn't what I was seeing in my interactions in the healthcare system. That's not to say I didn't develop really meaningful relationships with some of her physicians and nurses, and I will always be indebted to the care and compassion they showed us. But to say I'm a consumer to use the weight of that word, which implies choice, which implies power, which implies that you actually will answer to me, to me was a ridiculous concept to be utilizing. And so I pushed back many, many times and, and thankfully had the opportunity to actually write about it and share why I thought that that term does not work, does not apply. Consumer means choice, right? So. What choices do I have here in in this healthcare system? My choices are already dictated to me. And we can start from basic levels of who you are, what you look like, where you live, what community you are from, what resources are around you. We start there. Then we get into what type of coverage, health insurance, or lack thereof. And whichever path that you take on that, leads you to where you may be able to access your care and what type of care you'll receive and how much will be covered and how much won't. And so for anyone who's even taken business 101, that's not the definition of consumerism. (laughs) The flip side of that, I think too, is to me, it puts us into this business capitalist construct of healthcare that's occurred here in the United States where we are now driven by profit, not compassion, but profits. And so now you're creating, you're using this term as if you want to create the illusion we have power. And perhaps now you want to act like this is a transactional relationship, which it's not. And then all of a sudden we're talking about things that just don't, to me, support what I see. As, as the role I want to play and the support I need to be an engaged partner on the care team and as part of my health care, whether it's for me personally, whether it's for my mother, my father, my children, my husband, my loved ones, my friends. So please do not use terms that we know do not apply. And let's call it what it is. If healthcare is now a business, what things do we start peeling off now that it's a business? What are we motivated by? What are we driven by? What do we have to incentivize? We have to now incentivize doing the right thing. And what that means is I have to incentivize the system to treat me as a human being to provide me the care I need, and to recognize when I need support. And I just can't wrap, I will never, ever, ever will be able to wrap my head around it. I understand it. I don't need anybody to explain to me how we got to this point, the history of it, the economics of it, the business acumen of it. I understand where we're at, but is this where we should be? And I think now more than ever in the middle of a pandemic worldwide where all of a sudden we hear disproportionate impact on communities of color, minority communities, marginalized, vulnerable communities. And we're acting like we're surprised that this wasn't there before. And now we have to pay attention. How is the business model going to? acknowledge that, number one? And how is it going to address it, number two? We don't have those answers. We have a lot of smoke and mirrors. We have a lot of shiny objects we're flying out there to say, hey, yeah, we know this is happening. Let's maybe start doing some research. Maybe we need to look at some different incentives, some different metrics, Different ways of building our EHR, which is our electronic health record system, which is a whole other conversation in itself that supports the business machine that is healthcare. And it's developed by payers, not by even physicians, nurses, or patients, families, caregivers. We know who it's been developed for. So I will not allow anyone to call me a consumer for all of those reasons. And at the end of the day, I want to build a relationship with my physician, with my nurse, with my radiologist, whomever is part of my team. I don't want them to be thinking, I only have 10 minutes to speak to you right now because I have to be lean. I have to not utilize too much time in really engaging and building this relationship. Mm-hmm. You're going into the store to purchase an item. Someone comes up and says, do you need assistance with this? That's not what I want as part of my healthcare experience.
2: Absolutely not. You know what's interesting too? Because as you were talking, I was thinking about that whole efficiency situation where they, they, they're, they're tracking that time, the time spent with the patient, give the patient only 10 minutes. What has that turned into? And it's like, okay, that worked fine. It's a very well-oiled machine until we had chaos until we had COVID-19 and we saw how quickly physicians fell apart like a house of cards. You said you had this well-oiled machine driven by profit. You knew people in, people out, get them in, get them out. And then you have COVID-19 and you're literally crying into cameras on CNN and Facebook about how you can't handle you can't handle the interactions is what you can't handle because you have been brainwashed into the 10 minute I'm running this. I get to say X, Y, and Z, and then I'm leaving. There's no engagement. There's no shared decision-making. I came in here for 10 minutes to tell you what you're going to do and how I'm going to save your life. Deuces. Now, COVID-19 says no 10 minutes. It's, a, it's an hour. It's days. It's weeks. Same person in your face. How you going to handle it? And they are, in, they are stressed out by that pandemic. Because not only did it uncover disparities, it uncovered inefficiencies. How people, physicians are un- incapable. And see, as long as you get to talk to me for 10 minutes, you come off looking like the savior. You come off looking like the all-knowing. But now you're, you're in this thing called COVID, no answers, no quick fixes, right in your face. So now we're watching you panic for four to five
0: months. All
2: right.
0: I wonder whether, in fact, we are doing doctors themselves a disservice by using this word consumer. Because as a physician, if I treat you as a consumer, you're going to give me some dollars and I'm going to give you that 10 minutes and I'm going to come up as your savior. If I don't come up as your savior, I'm going to have to give you back your money. You buy something from a shop. It's not what you expected to get. You didn't save my life. You didn't fix me. You better pay me back. And then suddenly, oh no, no, it's not that simple. It's not that easy. It's it's a lot more complicated than that. There's a whole thing called science and You know, there is. look at the odds of this and the odds of that. I don't care about odds. I am interested as a consumer in you giving me what I paid for. So either you're going to call me something else or you want to take on that consumer with all the responsibility that goes with that, you better deliver on the goods. That part.
2: Yeah. You know, like for me, a good example was when I did my post-op visit. And that was very hard for me that day because I was expecting to see the surgeon. And I see some advanced nurse who walks in with a business card, like that was supposed to mean something to me. But she was an advanced nurse. And I'm not putting down nurses, but I wasn't expecting to do a post op visit with a nurse. I expected to see my surgeon, check my incisions, that kind of thing. So, okay, I asked her a very simple question. Well, it was simple to me because I had known. I said, What's my Encore DX score? She went, what? And I repeated it. And she said, oh, I know what you mean. There's been no testing on your tumor. And I went, well, I did the genetic testing. I was expecting to do a somatic test. That gives me a full range and understanding of what I'm dealing with. Prognosis, the whole nine yards. She says to me, that'll be decided by your oncologist. And I had to... Grab myself (laughs) before I I said, Kim, you're you're talking to a nurse, so just let her slide. But for her in her mind to say whether my tumor was going to be tested would be up to my oncologist. When I just said, what is the score? What was the score? What was the test? I'm already suggesting to you that that was an expectation of mine that it was was assumed across the board. So that tells me I'm going into a a meeting with an oncologist tomorrow who has a standard of care in her head. She's going to tell me in 10 minutes. And I already know she doesn't have a full picture. I already know. So you're going to tell me about a treatment plan that may or may not have something to do with radiation or whatever. And I'm sitting here going, you didn't test the tumor. There's, I can understand that seven years ago when I went through this, no thing on the internet, nothing really about GCT, uh, ovarian cancer. I can understand that seven years ago when we weren't really into genetic testing, nor somatic testing. I can see that, but
0: it's 2020. And that brings you to the point that in fact, medicine is an art, not just a science, I cannot guarantee that anything that I prescribe for my patients is going to work or that any test is going to give us the answer. But in order for that person to forgive me that and in order for us to have, you know, your word, partnership with that, there has to be an agreement between us that this is what it's about. This is about a sharing of the journey together. This is not about me sitting in my office telling you, like, an accountant or a lawyer telling somebody, these are the answers and it's cast iron guarantee that this is what will happen in this situation. But for me to be comfortable with that, you need to be on that page as well to say, yes, I accept that. I accept that this will be not a straightforward journey, but don't call me consumer if you want that relationship to... Right.
2: Yeah, don't bring me last year's dress.
0: And say, oh, it looks right. fabulous on you. You know, and
2: then you're out here touting <laughs> yourself as the, the fashion expert. You're yeah. in the know, you know what's going on. And I'm aware that this is last year's dress. Right. We're not right. doing, we are not in a shared decision making model. No, no. <laughs> Giving someone a
1: pamphlet and all of a sudden calling it shared decision making is not shared decision making. I mean, I will say this: to you know, in all fairness, I don't believe this is what physicians and nurses want. The major, the large majority, they don't want this either. That's not why they studied medicine. That's not why they run to the fire when we run away from the fire. They did this for humanity. It was built on service to humanity not service to what button can I push in the EHR to make sure we receive payment. That's not the drive of the overwhelming majority of physicians, nurses, and all members of the care team. I really, truly don't believe that. And in the conversations I've had, I found that to really resonate. And I will tell you that article I wrote, the majority of those who reached out to me were physicians saying, thank you for saying this because I don't want you to be my consumer and I don't want to be your provider. I want a relationship with you and I want it to manage expectations. Just like you said, this is not Amazon where you click and you'll get it tomorrow. and It'll be perfect. That's an unrealistic expectation we're building for people. And I understand many of this now is being pushed by this generation that is used to that instant gratification. You click that button and you get whatever you want.
2: That's not health care. I wish I felt the same way. I do know that there are, I have to want to believe that there are physicians who care. I, I, I have to believe that. But what I see in practice, what are you, are you saying that they are being forced, coerced into uh, stratifying so much of the personal side of the relationship that they they're they're just this victim and all. I, I just I'm not buying that. Says, uh, you know, if I want to talk to you, I can't talk to you because I got to talk. When I see you something, I'm, I send you a message in my chart. Guess who's reading it? Right, seven of uh physician assistants. Right, and someone is addressing my question, the thing that matters to me someone is responding to that. To that, and, and it clearly, I'm looking at her avatar. I know I sent it to the right person, but yet here comes right. Susie going, right, <laughs> this is what you're going to do. And I'm like, oh, well, I ain't talking to you, Susie. I ain't not ask you nothing, where did you come from? And right. so, but yet I understand that there has to be some system in terms of efficiency. She can't spend all her time responding to emails. So we create a position or uh, another part of Susie's job description is to sit here and deal with my doctors, my chart messages right? and email. And how does, how does that make me feel when I now come in for my 10-minute visit? We're getting further and further and further away from one another, and you don't seem to mind. I don't disagree with that. I think, though,
1: there are things we have to acknowledge that the system has now built in to Force us apart from one another. And that's another reason I don't like this consumer term. And I forget what the statistic is, and maybe because we're getting later into the evening here, but how many clicks physicians and nurses have to click on the electronic health record all day long? I forget. It was some ridiculous number. And I and I wish I could recall it at this time, but unfortunately I can't. But I know probably people who will hear this will will recall how many. Articles there have been about this. If you are forced, I'm coming into medicine for the, for the most part, for the majority, for the love of wanting to treat and care and serve humanity. Then all of a sudden, I'm pushed onto those, to, into training. And that's when we start. You've got to now understand this computer and make sure you're clicking, because if you don't, you're going to get a little notice that says, you did not do this today. And you're going to get a slap on the wrist because you didn't do this today. And you're also going to get a call from a case manager who wants you to justify why you just had that admission because the, uh, the insurance company doesn't want to cover it or Medicare doesn't want to cover it or whomever it may be. Then you're pulled into an administrative meeting to tell you why you need to be more efficient because you're not efficient enough. So that's not to say that is an excuse but if you're being put into a system that is pushing you away from Kimberly and pushing you away from Hala or my daughter, whomever it may be, there is plenty of blame to share in that. And my hope, to be honest with you and I and I already see it happening, I see a level of activism that has sprung up amongst physicians and nurses during COVID in particular. And my hope is that once we get through this, however way we get through it, with much prayer and hopes that we get through it all in one piece, is that they will say enough is enough. I don't want to work like this anymore. I do want to spend 10 minutes with Kimberly and talk to her. And if she needs 10 more or 15 more minutes, I want to have the ability to do that. I want to have the ability to respond to her message and not do the million and one clicks that I have to do all day, and I want. I want. I really do think it, it. This. This is coming. I think there's many who are dissatisfied with the system that they're being forced into, and will finally push back. And I feel, as someone who is in an advocacy position, I want to partner with those who are who are saying this now, and and who do want to push back. Because at the end of the day, I truly, in my heart, don't believe this is the way physicians want to work. I don't believe this is the way nurses want to work. I think they're being forced into a system that's being created by the powers that be who are motivated by profit margins and not by allowing their staff to really develop those relationships with their patients and families and their communities. I, I really, truly believe that. And that's not an excuse for what you've experienced or what I've experienced Mm -hmm. and all the negative that goes with it and the trauma. Let's not forget the trauma. But I also have to share the grace of saying, I believe the trauma goes both ways. We are both being pushed into a system that is not set up for us to be partners
2: at all. But I often wonder what the alternative, if, you, if they're going to be doctor-run hospitals, aren't they going to be searching for some sort of a system? That's how we do things in the Western world. We have to create a system, right, to make it flow, to make it function. And I'm hard-pressed to see how, if it's a conglomerate or it's a doctor-run hospital, how that will eventually be more patient-friendly. It's still going to be searching for a system to get the patient in and the patient out and then get paid. I'm not, I'm not throwing cold water on it. It just seems to me that it's two folks that are, are, are saying, look, we're in the middle. We, we're, we're the victims, but it's like, you know, you, you pay the cost to be the boss. You know, that's the person sitting behind the big table, the big desk, who thinks these things through. You are the doctor who now has to just learn how to use Eric or, you know, you, you, you didn't get the MD, MBA, <laughs> you got the MD, maybe PhD. So how do we work through those processes and at the end come out with something that's different than what we're we're experiencing right now?
1: Right. I think we have to co-design those processes. I mean, I think if we really work towards this community partnered care system, right, then we co-design, we co-design what this looks like. We co-design these processes. We co-design how we measure it. You know, we we don't just look at the typical measures we have now, you know, in, in your work, in your research work, how those measures don't speak to you or I at all. And they, to be quite frank, I'm sure many physicians will say, no, that's not what's I think is even the most important to me. So to me, it's how do we get to that co-design? How do we make those inroads, those partnerships, to co-design what healthcare looks like? And it has to be community partnered. Now, I'm not going to sit here and claim I know the roads to the Emerald City, <laughs> but I sure do think that if we combine this level of activism on both sides, whether it's you know patients, families, caregivers, and communities, along with physicians, nurses, and other health care team members, I think we can get there but we have to push back on the system and say enough is enough this is this is not working this is not working for either of us at the end of the day it doesn't work for either of us is there a small minority who won't care yes on both sides you know wow. you have people they don't care if they go to a minute clinic they're not looking to develop a relationship they want in out fast cheap i don't care just give me the pill we're done but to get when we get past COVID, these systems that are set, they're break. I mean, they're collapsing. We see it happening. Yeah. You see, you, you just described like it, it. Like
2: hospitals really ain't for the sick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's the way it's coming off. Because we don't perform. I mean, on we don't have, <laughs>
1: <laughs> and then we don't
2: have, we don't have personal
1: protection equipment for those who are seeing patients. I mean, the basics, the fundamentals aren't there. So for me, I really see, looking ahead, this activism spirit that will come to that co-design. How we all get there, I have no idea. Is it going to be messy? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Will we still, still have the powers that be that want to keep the status quo? 100%. But I think this is the time where we say, no, I don't want to go back to that.
0: And I think it's not just the the patients and the doctors who are saying this, it's also the economists who are saying this, because they're saying, if we are not providing good health care for people, if we are not keeping well, they're not going to be productive. And if they're not productive, they're not going to be paying taxes. And if they're not paying taxes, it's about the economy. It's the economy that will go down the pan. And none of us can afford for that to happen. And so, The drivers are not just amongst the patients and the doctors. They're also amongst people who see the writing on the wall. You cannot disenfranchise communities and say, they don't matter because they are that color or they're that culture or they're whatever else difference you want to magnify. Because those people are your neighbors. We cannot continue to Divide up our communities in this way, and healthcare is the thing that divides us the most. You're right. COVID has proven this.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I think you're right on. <laughs> you're right on it. I mean, I I do believe the next generation of physicians and nurses and other healthcare team members find this to be unacceptable on every level, and I do also feel that you know. I'll speak on behalf of my daughter, who is almost to that point where she will start transitioning to adult care. I don't think she's gonna put up with this. I don't think she's gonna sit there. Let's talk basics. You still have people who barge into the exam room, don't introduce themselves. That's patient family centered care 101, right? You know, you knock on the door, it's a sacred space, you you introduce yourself, you sit down, you don't put your hand. We, we're not even, you know, but I know my daughter, if somebody does that, the eye roll right away. <laughs> and then when they start talking to her, doesn't really want to say much. And eventually that's going to translate to, excuse me, I don't really appreciate that you've done this. Now, that's not something my parents' generation <laughs> would ever
2: do <laughs> in a million the doctors years, are right? Always, right? Whoever walks in here right. with like a rain right. <laughs>
1: right, but not not to the to the next generation of of patients either. They're not going to find it acceptable, and that's just a, a, a little you know example, right? So I I really you know as much as I can sometimes get frustrated in this work, and as much as I have passion for it, I have hope that we will get there. Because I think there's a lot of forces that will push us to the next stage of this. And I think it's going to be difficult, but I think we will get there. And then you talked about medical education and training. I mean, certainly here in the United States, that's, that's a huge issue. If, if it were up to me, you'd have patient family engagement leaders, advocates uh, serving as professors in every medical school in this country. And they'd be serving mm-hmm. as co-directors of residency programs. And there'd be one on every single accreditation board.
2: And we will get every there. Every step of the way in nursing, right. In right. Every, everybody who's being trained, not just the doctor, every single solitary person going through some sort of training needs to be introduced and taught by a patient or a patient advocate. We talk about that a lot in research and in, in education and training. And we get a lot of, yeah. We think that's great to do. It's almost like it's wow, isn't that interesting? Wow, that's. But when you ask them, okay, how are we going to implement this? Everybody does the same thing, like they do with uh, systemic racism thing. Oh, I had no idea that was even a thing. Well, how how, how do we go about changing it? It's like you constructed it. What? 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 <laughs> I just, I just, so you built this whole building and you have no clue how to
0: sandblast the building. The Journal of Health Design. Better health by design. Visit us at thejournalofhealthdesign.com.